What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And Pat, it definitely wasn't an easy dominant effort, but it was okay. We saved our sanity. Villanova came out against Georgetown at the Capital One Arena in D.C. 73-57 was the final. The Cats get back on the positive side of 500, 8-7, 2-2 in conference. And unfortunately for Georgetown, that winless streak continues. 673 days. Wow, 673 nice. days since the Hoyas have won a Big East game. Very thankful that that streak does not come to an end here uh, <laughs> against Villanova. I say a win's a win. I kind of say as a with a question mark at the end of it. Uh, that's how it felt like at least for that first portion of the second half and especially the first half. But they did play very well down the stretch to really put the Hoyas away. They they did what they needed to do. Uh, yeah. And in some ways, most importantly, I'm kidding. Of course, they covered. Oh my God, that's you took you took my thunder. Oh, Good I'm teams sorry. win, great teams cover. Unfortunately, I parlayed the minus nine and a half and the over. I had oh. faith that the combination of Georgetown's ability to score plus Nova's bad defense would give me over 142 and a half, but it frankly wasn't close. But the minus nine and a half is great. I know that we have a colleague who did not take that line, so we do. We won't. We won't out said person. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah good teams win great teams cover so that's great definitely was in the danger zone in the first half was wondering how you and i would be able to record this podcast oh, based we on the podcast was going to fold if, if yeah Villanova lost this game we were going to have some major technical difficulties i think uh if villanova continued to play that way but pretty dominant in the second half 38 to 22 was the scoring in that second half of play finally played fundamental basketball um there's yes. a lot of different talking points we want to start with mark armstrong we obviously need to talk about jordan longino but just to as a primer to start we've talked a lot about how this personnel is different they are just not as good offensively this year as they have been in the last four or five years mm-hmm. something that i think is overrated about how poor villanova has played at times throughout the season is that they're just not as fundamental as they used to be they're turning the ball over at a higher rate They don't look as cohesive and unified as they have in the past. They're not driving and kicking. The offense doesn't look as fluid as it has in times in the past. I felt like Wednesday night against Georgetown in the second half, they finally looked like that old team that was shooting well from beyond the arc, was able to get it down low to their big man, Dixon, driving and kicking, really young, explosive scorers and Whitmore and Armstrong. It just came together and I had a, a sense of relief that that fundamental basketball, of course, the free throws, hmm. it, it's not lost yet. We're still early-ish in conference play. It's not lost, and this team can hopefully continue that slow but steady slog back to that fundamental play. Yeah, I, I agree that I, I think especially in that second half, because expect the first part of the first half was a disaster, and it, it has certainly been very frustrating how this team struggles to start games, and it's been pretty consistent uh, throughout the season, though they did start pretty well against Marquette in a game they still dropped over the weekend, but if we move into the second half and we're looking at it there, to your point, the turnovers were down and were much more around what you normally see from Villanova. They were perfect from the free throw line, 18 for 18, and got there for 18 attempts, which we know is so important because 
they only shot 33% from beyond the arc. They shot 43% as a team, which 43% is certainly respectable, but how does Villanova put teams away? They put them away when they get to the foul line and they did that uh, here on, on, on Wednesday night. And defensively, you know what? They did something that they don't normally do more so than they don't normally do. They, they never come anywhere close to this. They had nine steals as a team, uh, which I, I think Villanova is usually around that three and a half to four per game as a team here. So, the defensively, they they picked up, were able to force some turnovers there, which which was really key. It did feel more cohesive. Now, a part of that could be you are playing a team that, um, as I said, has not won a Big East game in six. Yeah, that helps. Seventy-three. Don't days. bury the lead, Pat. Come on. Yeah, right, right. So that certainly helps, and it also helps when your guys really show out and play well. Caleb Daniels, uh, we talked about it. What he shot was shooting 26% from three over the last month. Comes out and shoots a shade under 50% and, and makes six out of 13 of them there. And I thought did a very strong job overall there. Dixon, you didn't see much of in the first half, but I thought in the second half did a nice job at being able to get himself involved and work the ball around a little bit. So I think those factors also went into it as well. But yes, it certainly felt like a more natural Villanova basketball performance in that second half than a lot of what we've seen through portions of the season. Yeah, that was, and that was a relief. And you are absolutely right. The free throws to have 18 freebies. And I wish... I either wish that people would stop asking Kyle Neptune how they shoot so well. It from happens the free throw every line. time now, right? I know Casey or Jacobson he, did it again. Yeah, he or he comes up with a better, funnier answer. Like something's got to give because he's taking it too seriously now. <laughs> but people keep asking it. Obviously, it's just something they preach and practice, and they're good at it. And Slater is the best free throw shooter in the country. But wow, to have eighteen of those free free shots is is pretty remarkable eric dixon didn't take a shot until the five minute mark in the first half yeah that's that's not how i like my game plan drawn up no i was i was absolutely petrified i ended up sending the tweet later than i wanted to but i was thinking the entire first half basically if georgetown has found a way to neutralize eric dixon I'm not sure how we go up from here. <laughs> if And yes, Kudus Wahab is a good player. I thought he was mm-hmm. really good in the first half. A Cook a Cook did better than I expected him to. He played very well. But if Georgetown's neutralizing Dixon, we have got a much, a much more serious issue on our hands. Luckily, he was able to carve a path for himself in the second half, and he was super effect, uh, efficient and effective, five for eight around the rim. Yeah, I, I think part of it was, as you mentioned in A Cook and, and Wahab, that they're so big and they are good interior defenders there that Dixon wasn't able to, to get too much of a look there. It was also, he wasn't as in a rhythm three point shooting wise, as we've seen Dixon has certainly not been shy shooting threes this year that this game, you only had the one attempt. I'm comfortable with the lower numbers. You'd probably still expect a couple more to go out. I actually give credit to Georgetown and not allowing him to have looks because in many opportunities, he's able to just lose his man and get an open look from three. And that's a part of how Dixon can be so dangerous from beyond the arc. So I do want to credit Georgetown in what they did and being able to slow down Dixon. Just something that's popped up many times this year is that there haven't been other guys to pick up the slack. If say an Eric Dixon is not firing on all cylinders and is not super involved in the game that did happen today with, I thought Brandon Slater played a very efficient game on offense for his 14 points. And as we kind of started with, this was the Mark Armstrong really coming out party where he had a career high in 14 points. And I thought played absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, Georgetown also did a good job, and I think frazzling might be too tough of a word, but that, in essence, of they brought 
Dixon out to the three-point line defensively. He didn't have a hand in any sort of rebounding effort in the beginning of that first half, really the majority of that first half too. And they were able to exploit mismatches on him and Spears and Mazzone and Murray at multiple points. So I thought Georgetown did a good job uh, exploiting him in the first half. But yeah, how can you not start with Mark Armstrong? <laughs> he maybe listened to our podcast when we were giving him um, a, t- a hard time. I-, I think that's a frank way to say it. We were looking for more from Armstrong and he showed up and showed us why he earned more minutes. And 27, career high 14 it started strong and fast and it finished yeah, it strong and fast. He does so many things. Well, he didn't hit a three, but I thought he had a bunch of really good looks and his ability to create off the dribble, stop on a dime and make a short jumper or just finish at the basket. There aren't many guys, his size that can do both of those things as well as he does. It's so fun to watch. And I'm sure Tommy Godin is just, basking in his happiness because he's been preaching all season long that if cam's batman mark armstrong is not his robin mark armstrong is not the quote-unquote other freshman on villanova his 14 points tonight on wednesday night showed you why i did appreciate that Tariq turner uh did clarify and said i do not want to refer to mark armstrong he did do that yeah (laughs) because you're right he's not the other freshman mark armstrong is incredibly talented and you know, it, as you said, it's been a bit of a slog for him over the last couple games. Over his last four games, he combined for 12 points. And then he comes out here against Georgetown on Wednesday night and scores that career-high 14. I think you saw all of the things that get you so excited about Mark Armstrong in this game. He's decisive. First off, he knows what he's doing with the ball, and he, he is not very hesitant. Uh, you saw a quickness for him uh, around the perimeter, both on defense and being able to jump balls for for some steals, as well as a quickness around the baseline the explosiveness that he has when he gets around the basket. I mean, we saw it against Marquette. We saw it again here against Georgetown. He explodes into those dunks that he's able to take off from, and he's only six foot two. So I think that shows you how much bounciness he really has in, in those steps. The shooting hasn't really been there yet. That's the that's the one thing I think if you really want to pull away from what we've seen from him, he's shooting around, I think it's around 24, 25% from beyond the arc. So he really hasn't gotten into a groove there. But when he's able to use all those physical tools, find ways to get to the hoop, find ways to create offense with that speed, push tempo when there are opportunities to, and kind of create some havoc on defense, it's why all of Nova Nation is so excited about Mark Armstrong, and it's why there has been so much chatter around you know that lead guard role really all season long because you know the talent's there. You can see it. It's just finding ways to continue to refine it and continue to develop it so that it really shines through. Definitely. And before we even transition to defense, which I actually thought was the more impressive performance from him against a really good guard in Primo Spears, why tonight? Why was he able to explode tonight? Was it just because Georgetown's guards struggled to keep up with him so mightily? Or is it because the bigs did such a good job neutralizing Dixon so he was able to have more of a lane? Was it a confluence of all those things? Because like you said, it, it he has had a really hard time. You've always seen the explosiveness. You've seen the potential, but he hasn't been able to put it together really at all. I, I think a part of it, at least, was Georgetown's defensive game plan going into it. So they knew 
that Villanova loves to shoot the three and is very comfortable shooting out around that three-point arc. You saw it multiple times where Georgetown stepped out over screens and was very aggressive in trying to block shots. And in many instances, they did. Cam Whitmore really suffered from that, what, three or four times in this game. Well, what Mark Armstrong did is he's able to draw those defenders out there that were being more aggressive, being ready to jump and contest those jumpers and just blow by them, which I think really plays into his strengths to being able to show off that quickness. And it, again, it, it just showed how dangerous he can be. I mean, there was one point too, where Georgetown just didn't guard the lane and he just flew in past them, did not finish the end one, but he picked up a foul, went to the line and very importantly for Mark as well, knocked down all six free throws. So I think Georgetown's defensive game plan kind of played in to Armstrong's strengths here. It allowed him to get into a little bit more flow of the game. And of course he saw his minutes increase as well, not only because he played well, but of course Jordan Longino has that injury that we're not even really sure what it is yet. So we don't want to speculate, but and gave him an opportunity to continue to grow into that game. And listen, you're hearing it. I I loved every second of what I saw from Mark Armstrong tonight. Yeah, it was just so fun to watch. And then not to be undone by his defensive performance, he was up against Primo Spears, who I think averages 16 or 18. And he's one of the higher scoring players in the Big East Conference. Eight points. You can see he or anticipate Spears moving into the more facilitator role. He had nine assists, which is obviously very impressive, but... Armstrong stuck to him one-on-one pretty much as soon as Longino left. So he had a half plus five to seven minutes whenever Longino went down at that mark in the first half to play one-on-one against the point guard on Georgetown. And he lived up to the assignment Mm -hmm. in in that stretch where Villanova was able to go on that offensive run. Yes, it was because Georgetown went one one for 11 from the floor, It was also because their guards weren't able to get any uncontested shots. And I give Armstrong a ton of credit for making it as hard as possible for Primo Spears to get anything to go through the hoop. Yeah, and Primo Spears is a stud, mind you, especially scoring-wise. It's been an important transfer for Georgetown and has really carried a lot of the load for them on offense. He is struggling a little bit of late. Uh, Two points against Butler in that beatdown that Georgetown took over the weekend, only eight against DePaul, and then struggled here against Villanova as well with eight points. But I I give that Villanova a ton of credit in stopping Spears because we've seen it multiple times this year he's got multiple 20 point games he even almost had a 30 point one um earlier in the season this guy can explode and he can really hurt you and and, you know we saw where stevie mitchell really torched villanova from beyond Mm. the arc recently in that marquette game you know and jordan hawkins did the same thing uh, against uconn just a week ago to be able to lock down the fifth leading scorer in the big east to just eight points on three of 12 shooting mark armstrong played a huge part in that and the rest of the villanova defense also had a very good night there because that was really really key to be able to slow down this way offense yeah again they have we're not trying to be cliche or give a team more credit uh georgetown has some talented scorers Offense hasn't been the huge issue for them. It's been much more on the defensive end. So I expected them to put up more than 57 points. I thought the defense really clamped down when it needed to. 280th in the country on defense, Georgetown, as according to Ken Palm. So we we talk about Villanova and how annoyed we've been at the defensive side (laughs) of the ball there. Um, Georgetown 280 out of 360 is, uh, is, or 363 is kind of wild. That's not where you want to be. So another question for you. And Tell me if this is going too deep down a rabbit hole, because it might be. 
you're obviously so excited to see this type of performance from Armstrong. It has to give him a ton of confidence, especially if hopefully Longino's injury doesn't turn into a long-term thing, but you feel much more confident about how Armstrong can fill that place defensively and offensively with however long Longino's on the bench for. Mm -hmm. Does it worry you at all that his style of play is just so different from all the other players on the floor and Whitmore's too in the same vein. Mm -hmm. He's obviously been struggling of late, but I just wonder how they're going to handle Armstrong, whether they're going to play design him or whether it's just going to be taking advantage of circumstances because Georgetown focused on Dixon as much as they did. Does that come into your mind at all? Just of of how Mm -hmm. different he is compared to the Daniels and the Slaters and the Dixons. I I love that question because yes, the the same thought did cross my mind as we're watching him explode around the rim and have another dunk. You just don't see that very often. It's, it's he is not the prototypical Villanova player. Uh, when you say, I think you know, if you're looking for the one guy that, re- especially recently, that really encompasses Villanova and their style, Jalen Brunson is of course you know the the one that comes to mind there. Armstrong is a very different player in that he is so toolsy that it kind of feels a little bit like a wild horse where you want to let him run and stretch those legs. And it is a bit of a style contrast because we know Villanova wants to play slow. They want to suck the air out of things and really limit possessions and play at their speed and and shoot threes. Armstrong hasn't shown the ability to really knock down those threes yet. And he has also shown that he most certainly thrives when he's able to run in transition and kind of cause a little bit of chaos uh, around both on the defensive side and on the offensive side. No, he doesn't fit in perfectly with the Villanova ideals, but I think it also is just another point in Villanova has to continue to evolve where things that have worked so well for them over the last decade, over the last decade and a half, over the last two decades, things are changing so much and so fluidly in college basketball, where when you have the opportunity to recruit someone like a Mark Armstrong that I think has the very much Villanova mentality and Villanova attitude and that Villanova guard toughness that we love of so many of these guys that have come through this program, you kind of live with that things are a little different and you go with that experience because it's it's different. It's exciting. Uh, there will probably be some bumps in the road with it, but I am more than comfortable letting him be a just a kind of unique type player in this Villanova system. Yeah, I think that's really well said, and I feel the same way. It popped into my mind just because you don't see... I mean, you've seen Caleb turn him to almost an exclusive shooter when you saw him drive a lot more in years past. If Brunson is the head down on the grind point guard Armstrong is all about finesse and it's fun to watch and you hear Villanova get backhanded so often in the national conversation about how slow they play and how unwilling they are to adapt to their landscape around them it obviously still works for them but I think it's a nice some some fresh fresh juice you know like get something different in there He's obviously excelling. It took him a little bit. There's going to be bumps like you mentioned, but I totally agree with you. I think it's a really nice way to start Kyle Neptune's era as Villanova head coach too. It it is. And people are most certainly taking notice. I know we've talked about it all season, how big of fans we are of Mark Armstrong. You mentioned Tommy loves Mark Armstrong. Colin Gillespie tweeted about Mark Armstrong today saying how good he thinks uh, he is going to become for this Villanova program. So it's okay that he's different. I think it's exciting 
that he's different. And I, I, I love what I'm seeing. And as I said, understanding that there are going to be bumps in the road. This was a great game for him. It's not going to be like that every time out there. But uh, I'm very impressed with what I saw. And I think as more time that he is able to occur in this system and at this program, you'll be able to refine some parts of his game and you'll be able, be able to allow those athletic gifts to also take over even more so. So let's do it. I'm pumped. Totally. Feel the same way. All right. So we mentioned that we weren't going to speculate about Jordan Longino's issue, but we have to discuss it. Because we saw him later in the second half, smiling on the bench uh, on his own volition, I feel much better talking about it now because Mm -hmm. when he went down and you saw him not able to move his leg, he literally was not able to walk off under his own power. I, my heart dropped. I, I really, I haven't, to my memory seen a player does not have control over his leg like Longino did. He literally couldn't move out of the position that he stopped in. And it was the bad leg, the uh, meniscus leg. So that worried me. Not even sure if that's the same issue because it looked like such a freak thing. Yeah, I it was very scary when it happened. I agree with you that I take it as a positive sign he ended up back on the bench and, and kind of laughing there in the shot that FS1 uh, did end up showing there towards the end of the game. Of course, we don't really have any more information on it yet, so who knows uh, what type of thing Jordan's dealing with, but you just hope for the best for this poor kid because it seems like he just cannot catch a break with the leg where you go back to last season, he was finally starting to establish himself as someone that Jay Wright trusted, has the meniscus tear, misses that NCAA tournament. We know how much of a role he could have played in that. You've had this season where you know that there's been soreness going on with that knee. It's affected him. It, it was a part of a reason he was put on on the bench there to uh, to limit some of his minutes. It, he struggled to get into rhythm, and now you have something like this happen, which was really, really scary, and we just don't have the details yet. So the most I can say is just you hope for the best for this kid because he is, I, I think he's going to become a pillar of this Villanova program if he's able to be healthy. He has all those intangibles that we see. We see the athleticism and understanding that he's still got some place to go in his development. So let's. I think everyone is just pulling for Jordan Longino to be okay here and hoping for some positive updates. Definitely. And it feels like you're right. We have been talking a lot about how he's still trying to find that rhythm, become fully healthy, but he's still averaging 25 minutes a game. So that's a huge loss in terms of body. Yeah. He's the sixth man off the bench. He is a leader in this relatively young learning program. So a huge loss. Of course, we'll let you know if we hear any news, but um, we're expecting it to be relatively quiet on that front. And hopefully Jordan is doesn't miss too much time. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Same, uh, same thing out there. Just until we have the information, we just, there's not too much more we can go into there. Yeah. All right. Should we talk a little bit more about Caleb specifically because he dropped the 20 pointer? I mean, why not? Six for 13 from three is pretty absurd. We talked a lot on Tuesday's episode about how he is relying too heavily on that three point shot. I think 13 shots is insane. But the fact that he was able to hit six of them, you felt that rhythm come back. You've, I felt good, even though I'm not sure this was what hmm. we were looking for after talking about it on Tuesday, right? Like <laughs> a weird a weird conundrum there. 
So 13 threes, as you said, were the most that he's taken in a game this season. But yeah, at least feel a little bit better about it when he's drilling them the way that he was. So I laugh because, of course, I feel like I spent the whole segment talking about how important Caleb Daniels is to this team on scoring and how key it is for him to get in the lane, get to the basket, use that frame, all those things. And what does Caleb Daniels do but go out and score six threes um, right. on his way? to 20 points i still don't love the philosophy behind it but hey if that ball is fine in the bottom of the buck the bucket you keep shooting and, and that's what he did there and it's why i led the way with with 20 points so is it something i want to see all the time with 13 out of 15 field goal attempts coming from him from beyond the arc absolutely not but sometimes when you're hot you're hot as simple as that and so tonight was the night to keep on firing and not a lot of other shooters were hot <laughs> team made three other threes so you needed him i mean if this was going to come down to a points battle of course they got the 18 from the free throw line but it was neck and it was tied at half it was neck and neck for a while in this game housing's been really really cold from three armstrong hasn't gotten that shot in a rhythm dixon wasn't taking as many shots cam hadn't hit in a three so they needed it from caleb plain and simple and and luckily he was able to pull through what'd you make of whitmore's performance tonight So I wanted to bring up the block point because I'm not sure what the total was. I know at one point they showed five blocks from Georgetown as a team, and I don't remember any other happening after that. I believe four of those blocks came on jump shots, and I think three of those blocks came off of Cam Whitmore. So we've talked a lot about if he's forcing it too much. I thought the past two games with him starting – he's settled in more and that leads to better things for him because he doesn't feel like he has to force it. Mm -hmm. But this game felt like a force for him and he was visibly frustrated and Kyle Neptune was visibly angry speaking to him at times. So I feel like there's a little bit of a miscommunication between coaching staff and Whitmore in terms of what his role is, whether they want him to be the go get a bucket guy whether they want him to be the guy who can post up from three or whether they want him to do a little bit of both and bring Mm -hmm. the intensity on defense, which is definitely an underrated part of his game. And he has seven rebounds and I think he's averaging about that number, but to be blocked on that many shots just shows me that he's not taking good shots. He's, he's forcing them up when you're having a good contest. It's at the end of a shot clock. So you hadn't made that pass when you needed to, it just doesn't feel like, it's clicking for Cam right now. And I think that frustration is starting to show. It didn't affect his minutes down the stretch of this game, which I was the happy most minutes about. I think he's played yeah. at 29. So that was promising. But I don't think you've watched the past few games and thought, wow, Whitmore has looked really good lately. Yeah. So I, I think it's impossible to fully look at Whitmore's performance and performances we've seen lately without just understanding that the scrutiny is higher on a player like Cam oh. Whitmore, just understanding all of the the fanfare and expectations that come in with a guy that's going to be a projected lottery pick that was you know the most outstanding player for FIBA over the summer and for is was so desperately needed for a team that was struggling to to find its way here that said I I felt it was a mixed bag for what I saw here against Georgetown I think there have been some worse performances from him but this was definitely was not the best we've seen of Cam Whitmore as you said that the shot selection is most certainly still an issue where it feels like there are just too many times where he's still trying to force shots up rather than find those easier buckets or rather than trying to work some things around to to find some teammates there I still think you see You know, especially on the defensive side, I've seen some good things from him. Yes, he's still over, 
a little overzealous at times and will try and jump those passing lanes and can get caught in a bad position because of it. But he's also able to make things happen as a rebounder. He has been so important for this Villanova team, how he's able to sky up and really take some of those down because we know how much Nova has struggled here. And then what was really interesting was the second half starts up, his first touch, he goes straight to the basket and, get, and you know scores right around there with a layup. I have a feeling that came from some coaching and so some conversations there at halftime to try and get him more involved. Now, it didn't continue as much really after that, but I took that as at least a positive sign for how they are communicating with each other because as we saw in this game, and it even came in with a question from John Palme that I think it's fair to, to bring in now we, before we hit a mailbag, you know, kind of thoughts on the body language from Whitmore, including when that with that conversation with Kyle Neptune, you know, what do you think about that and what do you make of it? It was startling. Yeah. Um, I definitely haven't seen Neptune be that fired up or that animated at any point so far in any sort of press setting. I think it's good because players like Cam with so much pressure and expectation, you you think that they're kind of immune to the coaching part of it, but he's still a freshman in college and he's still recovering after not playing seven games at the beginning of the season. So of course we're going on this whole narrative that he got healthy at this time and then he was immediately put into the rotation and Kyle Neptune has, has spoken at length about how shocked he was that Cam was able to play with basically zero conditioning and be able to fit as well into this lineup as he does. But it just can't be a coincidence that he was able to get his legs back underneath him against Oklahoma, Penn, BC, and St. Joe's. Villanova has had a tough stretch of play of late. Mm -hmm. St. John's, UConn, Marquette, and then maybe you start to get a little bit harsher when you get into the Georgetown and DePaul's and Butler's, depending on how he does. But I don't feel like the quality of opponent has come into play as much when people are talking about Whitmore's struggles. I think we need to give him the grace that we give some of the other players. It's obviously harder to do that when you have as much talent as Whitmore does. It's still an adjustment period for him. Mm -hmm. What did you think of the, uh, that scene where that shot where they had Neptune and Whitmore on the side? I have a feeling that was just some real frustration showing from a player that has dominated at every level he has right. ever played at in his life and has had a you know a couple struggles of late and has been questioned a, a bit for shot selection and you know didn't play most of the final seven minutes in a close game when he when he scored uh 14 points in, in limited minutes uh, against Marquette so I I found that more as just Whitmore being frustrated with how things were going at the time because as they mentioned on the broadcast this is a freshman this is an 18 year old kid you know the the emotions can most certainly still overtake a guy and I, I have a feeling that's more of what it was I'm completely comfortable with Kyle Neptune you know going over and and really coaching him up and, and doing it in that fashion because you got to hold these guys accountable where you right. can if Whitmore's turning the ball over or He's taking shots that are hurting the team. He's got to be told that. I, I, you know, I, of course, we get the talent that he has and we want him to explode in the way that pretty sure Cam Whitmore can explode. And we saw it against BC and we saw it against Penn. We know he can most certainly do it, but that doesn't mean he's immune from from coaching criticism, just like Kyle Neptune against Marquette was not immune from criticism on, on how things were handled. So 
I get how, you know, striking it was to really see what looked like, you know, a, a disagreement uh, between those two and, and the frustration on, on both of their faces. But I think heat of the moment and, and you take all those different circumstances into effect, it starts to make a little bit more sense for why it happened. Yeah. And I also have to imagine that he gets that from the Slaters and Daniels at practice too. And we obviously just can't see that. But mm-hmm. so it, it's not surprising to me that we're having this conversation just because it was so exciting, but also surprising that a player like Whitmore committed to Villanova because under Jay Wright, it's always been the team over the individual. And Cam Whitmore is projected to be the first one and done since Tim Thomas, however many years ago. So it definitely takes a little bit of practice and grace to become part of the machine, as opposed to what you just said, dominating every level of play that he's ever played in. So I think it's, it's definitely push and pull. You put that injury into it, which already kind of stunts the the developmental growth a little bit. And I, I'm sure Villanova is just a unique place to play. And that's mm-hmm. why they haven't been active in the transfer portal, because it's hard to find players that buy into the system like these current batch of players do. So I think it's a lot of different things. He's 18. They're playing good opponents. It's big conference, big East conference play. Yes, we would like to see more of him. And I don't think some of that shot selection is excusable you know to to definitely put the onus back on him but I I do think that there's a lot more to it than just Kyle Neptune being pissed at him on the sideline yeah and and I still have all the confidence in the world that Cam Whitmore is going to come good and I I say come good as if he hasn't been you know already a positive influence on this team and has flashed all the potential that we've seen here He, he played 29 minutes as we mentioned pretty sure that's a career high for what we've seen thus far in the limited action for him. I take that as a good sign. He's creeping closer to that 30 minute mark. Uh, you know, even Eric Dixon only played 32 minutes here um, in this game uh, against Georgetown. So you just, you, you want to see some, some of the rough edges get smoothed out, but when that does happen, you, you have all the potential for a complete explosion. Yeah, and that again, can happen just, any game too with how talented he is. Right. Just the, the emphasis on the minutes too. Because we did not see that against Marquette down the stretch. Neptune yeah. is starting to trust him more and more. And I think that couldn't have that happen again. No, no. Mark and Cam had to be out there and they were to, to Kyle's credit after what was a, a rough handling uh, over the weekend. So the most important question that we haven't answered so far yet, luckily we were able to escape this. Can Georgetown get a conference win this year? No. Let it continue. For really? Long. No, the cur- the curse of Patrick Ewing will live until he is uh, not the coach <laughs> you of, believe, uh, of Georgetown. Could you believe it's been six seasons under Ewing? That surprised me. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy how how long it's been at this point since it, since John Thompson was there, and just it, you know to think that it, it's so interesting, really, because it, it's a parallel here for the team that Villanova played on Wednesday night and the team Villanova is going to play on Saturday. Georgetown has yeah. continually stuck with a coach that has shown that it's just it's not going to work. There has been no reason to believe it's going to work. I said it on the last episode. As we look back at this, it is going to be one of the more shocking things in the history of this conference that Georgetown was able to win the 2021 Big East tournament, understanding everything that came before and most especially what came after that win. Now you look to a team in Ohio with Xavier that fired their coach in Travis Steele, who 
Travis Steele was good. Yeah, Travis Steele was not a bad coach. Yeah. Travis Steele was not coaching Xavier teams that were a disaster. They with won Travis, the yeah. exactly without Travis Steele. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what what Travis Steele did do is that he coached underachieving teams, teams that didn't live up to their talent level and should have been much much better and should have finished much much better than they actually did. And what did Xavier do? They moved on from him. They brought in a real assassin in sean miller who say what you want about him because yes he's it's ridiculous he escaped with no sanctions against him or suspension uh, for his time at arizona but they bring him in and look what x is doing already so i i think you look at that and it's it's just in such an interesting parallel between these two programs that villanova's taking on back to back yeah that's a really really good point and you saw how the big east was uplifted because of all these new coaches same thing at butler like laval jordan certainly didn't have many issues butler was just in a rut and needed a new face whether you like that decision or not that one was definitely a little bit brutal but you could say the same thing about travis Steele. these teams just weren't willing to settle and it feels like that has been the one word to define georgetown because they're just too nervous about what it's going to be like to part ways with Patrick Ewing. It feel it feels like at this point the broadcast actually I think set up perfectly that the Georgetown alumni are just taking a break from Georgetown basketball and tour until this situation figures itself out. They are worse than bad right now. They are irrelevant, and that is something you never ever yeah. want to be as a program. I don't know why you would watch any of these games as a Georgetown fan because it's just setting yourself up for misery. Oh, that's fun. That's part of what we do, right? <laughs> oh, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to that Kempom number, wow. We some perspective. It's always good. Villanova's defense has had its issues, but they 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 have a higher ceiling than what this this current Georgetown team is like. And you just hope that under some new leadership again, I think the question now is is just whether Ewing's going to be let go before the season's over, if it's going to be an in season or after season decision if the guy who replaces him can just have a more fluid recruiting cycle if he can maintain talent because retention has just been such a mystery for retention 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 is the question yeah on ewing i know we discussed it a little bit on tuesday but this could literally happen any day um just tensions are very very high there um for for what this program has come into uh, but it's it's is Georgetown going to be the one to blink and actually fire him? I have seen no indication to think they would do it. Uh, I think it has to happen at the end of the season, and my assumption is they will frame it as some sort of mutual parting of ways. I, I'm not even sure you're going to get a resignation from Patrick Ewing. I, I think it would be a mutual parting of ways. But hey, you never know. Whatever it is, though, we know that he he cannot simply cannot be the coach next season. Uh, it would probably help Georgetown to even move on earlier, but I'm just, as I said, I, I have not seen any indication to think they would do so. Why would they have waited this long at this point? Yeah, I, I feel the same way. You got anything more about this game before we talk about a potentially more interesting opponent on Saturday? <laughs> yeah, Villanova took care of business. They needed to. It was ugly in that first half, um, but they really turned it on, especially down those last 10 minutes, and we got the Mark Armstrong game. So yeah. uh, that's how I would sum things up. I guess we can't go without talking about this though the brendan murray dunk my god my god yeah that was pretty absurd in a One very physical game yeah this was an extremely physical game because georgetown has some bodies so for murray to go up 
It was against Longino or Slater? I believe it was Longino. Yeah, I think so too. Who again isn't some scrub off the bench. Wow, that was that was pretty insane. Yeah. It certainly was. And we had a Trey Patterson sighting. Yes. I know that John Palme asked about him too. Definitely because of the Longino injury, I think they needed some defensive help, if you can kind of say that with Trey Patterson in the same sentence. But I think it's good to get him out there. I don't think it is a indication of any more minutes in the future, but it was nice to see him get a shot up and go to the line and make them both. I agree, unless the Longino injury has some sort of... And you need them. Uh, yeah, yeah, multiple game uh, implications, which we just don't know yet. Otherwise, I do think you're going to see Trey Patterson play, um, but it all kind of depends on on Longino. And to your point, it was nice, though, to see him take a jumper, get fouled, go to the line, knock him down. Uh, I think he had a rebound or two in this game. I was just going to so. say, he had a strong rebound. Yeah. Yeah, so any sort of building blocks for a guy that hasn't been able to get in any sort of a rhythm at all uh, as he's mm-hmm. come here to Villanova, I take as a positive sign, and you know we'll we'll see what happens there. It's tough to expect anything from him because we haven't seen him in at least since the start of of Big East play. I can't even mm-hmm. remember going back to St. Joe's and BC and Penn and all those. No, games, it's so. it was like the very early season games when you saw yeah. him, and then he's he has not played many minutes since. So there certainly can't be expectations, but it's nice to see him at least clock some minutes there. Yep, we shall see how things play out. Can't imagine, uh, of course, assuming the Longino injury is, is less than it seemed that he would get any minutes against a team like Xavier, who is coming off of the UConn upset. Not even sure if you can really call it an upset, just in terms of seating. But at the Cintas Center, one of the hardest places to play, underrated places to play in the country. You've been on Xavier for a while, and I think finally people are starting to come around. Sean Miller, if nothing else, is a winner. He's an assassin. I like that adjective because... Man, they can just do a lot of things. They had the personnel under steel. They just weren't able to get it all clicking. And now it feels like Fremantle, who has had issues of his own, but has finally put those behind him seemingly this year. Fremantle and Nunji is one of the toughest front courts in the sport. And I think Fremantle was the guy that people looked at for a while as, wow, you know, the the stud Nunji has been better. Yeah. Fremantle and Nunji currently is the better player but you know you mentioned Xavier they're sitting there right now at 12 and 3 on an eight game win streak their only losses this year are a two-point home loss to Indiana a seven-point neutral court loss to Duke and a four-point neutral court loss to Gonzaga that's it on their resume right now in terms of blemishes of course we know they're coming off that win over UConn this is a team that you will be very familiar with who you will be seeing on Saturday because most, if not all really of Xavier's key players returned from a year ago. You still got Nunji, as we mentioned, there's still Zach Fremantle. Colby Jones is a stud uh, to go with it. Adam Kunkel, we know can, can certainly hurt you from deep. Kaikai Tandy plays uh, off the bench for them. But most, yes, but <laughs> there is one name that comes in that is new uh, year over year. And that would be the best transfer we have seen in the Big East this season, and that is Sule Boom, who is an absolute star. If you have not watched him play yet, he's coming in from UTEP. He is averaging 17 points a game and is shooting 47% 
from beyond the arc. Uh, Sule Boom has been an absolute revelation here at, at Xavier for Sean Miller in year one, part two. Uh, for him and it's why x is very very dangerous and it's a huge reason why they're able to take down uconn over the weekend by far best newcomer in the conference those are baylor shireman type numbers the the numbers that you thought baylor shireman would be putting i would say baylor shireman uh south dakota state numbers (laughs) yeah exactly exactly he struggled to get things going but my gosh boom uconn actually did the best job that probably any team in that Xavier has played so far has done against him. He was pretty neutralized against UConn, but even then he was still able to get things going. They just have such a good inside out game and they have so many different players that even that out, they have one of, they have a top 10 Ken Palm offense. Mm -hmm. The defense is not far behind. That's the only reason why you get down a little bit farther in the rankings and why they're in the low twenties, high teens when it comes to the AP poll, but they run fast. They try and force turnovers. It feels like this is the MO of the conference now, that Havoc defense. Everybody is starting to adopt it. And they just don't take a break because they're either going to hit Nunji or Fremantle down low or Boom's going to hit a three or Adam Kunkel's going to facilitate and find a lob for Fremantle down low. It's just, it's just so many different threats. And Tommy was actually mentioning this in tip time on Wednesday. Villanova struggles so far this season against duos like the temple duo of Damian Dunn and Khalif battle a lot of different Andre Curbelo and Posh Alexander you can keep keep going on of the 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 big scores that they've faced so far this season this is a really tough offense to go against for Nova yeah I and the number that is just absolutely glaring is that this is the third best three-point shooting team in the country averaging over 40 percent and what does Villanova do horribly that is defend the three so it, it is not a great matchup in that sense to say Villanova can't even try and find a way to really overcommit around the perimeter because Xavier does have those options around the basket especially in Nunji, who, as I said, is now averaging over 15 points a game to go with his almost eight rebounds. Uh, it, this is such an impressive X team. It is such a difficult Xavier team to play. Uh, it is a very tough assignment, even with it being a home game here for Villanova, because Xavier is, as I said, they're on an eight game winning streak. They're certainly getting in their groove. Uh, and it was very cool to be able to watch them on the Fox uh, all access game uh, against yeah. St. John's and really get a, an inside look at Sean Miller and how things are, are kind of run there. So this is a very difficult matchup for Villanova. This is a very experienced Xavier team, and this is an incredibly talented Musketeer squad. I really liked listening to the way Miller talked to his players because the majority of the time it was just about hustle. And they have one of the fastest tempos in the country. So you don't expect that to be an issue, but he was just on them the entire game to get back quicker. So what does Nova do? They they play to their own tempo, which is one of the slowest in the country. They have to. They try and beat Xavier at their own game because if Villanova succumbs at all to playing in transition, trying to steal points Xavier is just going to do it better than they can so I don't think they can beat them at the three-point game they certainly can't beat them at the three-point defense game so they're just going to have to play incredibly clean basketball less than honestly seven or eight turnovers I think is going to be the line there they're going to have to play strong defense of their own try and force some opportunities for themselves 
And then, of course, get to the free throw line, because if they can get to the line as many times as they did against Georgetown, think of how much of a difference 18 points can have in a game like this one with a with a Xavier team that's averaging. I don't have the number up in front of me, but I'm sure it's over 75 points. Oh, it certainly is. I believe it's over 80 points a game. Yeah, um, 84. Yeah, yeah. That, that's how talented they are there. And absolutely, Villanova needs to find a way to control the tempo here. And Villanova needs to get to the free throw line because that is their great equalizer is being able to get to the line and really put teams away as they are the top shooting free throw team in the country yet again. As yeah, we, stand we need to get right back now. in that category. We were two for a while. I'm not even sure who the number one team was, but I'm- yeah, Nova's back at one right after tonight. So they're, they're still sitting there. Uh, and then just an interesting battle to watch here. We know Villanova has struggled from deep uh, in really most games here, but if you're looking for Xavier's defensive weakness, they do not defend the three. Well, so it's not a great stylistic matchup though, because while Villanova shoots a lot of them, they don't make a ton of them. In many instances, though Caleb Daniel certainly did, I do wonder if they at least try and test their luck early and throw up a lot of threes and see how Xavier responds there. Uh, otherwise, they're going to have to do what they can do to find ways for easy buckets because this Xavier team, there really haven't been too many instances where they've been stopped at all on offense. Uh, Villanova's defense hasn't given you too many reasons this year to believe that they can slow down such a a lethal offense here. But if you want to take the positive from that, they did hold Georgetown, which is at least a respectable offense, um, to to 22 points uh, in the second half. So it's, as we said, this is not a great matchup for Nova based on personnel and what these teams do well. But it'll be interesting to see how the Cavs do try and exploit the few weaknesses that Xavier does have. Yeah, I'm really anxious to hear Longino news as soon as possible, too, because it would really hurt to lose him defensively. Oh, yeah. Uh, This is going to be a huge Brandon Slater game. He'll match up against Fremantle, most likely, with Dixon on Nunji. You were talking about Travis Steele and the underperforming rosters he's had in the past. I think one of the biggest reasons why is because he had some sort of aversion to playing Nunji and Fremantle together at times. And Fremantle was dealing with injuries at various points, and he was sidelined for various points of his career. But the two of them together, they just play so well off of the uh, each other. Like so many other big men, it feels like, Nunji is able to shoot from beyond the arc. When he's doing that, you can also pull Fremantle down low, who has almost as much size as he does. So they are so formidable together. Both Dixon and Slater are going to have their hands full i don't know if they try and push nunji up to the free uh three-point line let him shoot that if it's going to prevent him on the boards villanova did get out rebounded by georgetown it wasn't abysmal it was two rebounds but still not great against an even bigger xavier team coming up absolutely and if jordan longino is not available to play on saturday it is going to be so vital for villanova's key guys to stay out of foul trouble because yeah that bench is getting shorter and shorter then you're getting trey patterson out there every, every game yeah. with, with justin moore obviously still out angelo brizzy with the the transfer and now longino we were just unsure of his uh, availability there you are losing bodies um so villanova is not going to be able to afford to really dive too far into really what is a lack of depth uh impactful depth uh to in especially a game of such high stakes here because for villanova while as i said this is not a great matchup and it's a great xavier team because it is a great xavier team this is a phenomenal opportunity for the caps Mm -hmm. to try and get that resume building win against a team that is going to be 
you know, probably pretty nicely seated uh, come March in that NCAA tournament. So while it's a challenge, it is most certainly a huge opportunity for these guys to try and build off of some of what we saw in that second half and take it to a, you know, a really good Xavier team. They did it against UConn. They stayed in that game. They probably should have won that game on the road against the Huskies, a, you know, a top five team in the country. So now they're going to have another opportunity to do so. They have the opportunity to do so at home. Very curious to see how this Cats team is able to match up. Yeah, that's a really, really good point about depth. And and one more thing quickly about Villanova defense. It seems like every time housing goes in now, Villanova immediately goes into the 2-3 zone, which I don't have a yeah. problem with. The nice thing about playing Georgetown is that Georgetown can't shoot out of the zone. Xavier definitely can. So that is not going to be any sort of strength with Housen out there, this is a huge opportunity. Again, this is the last, let me just check for the rest of January, maybe until Providence, until Providence yeah, yeah, at until Wells Providence. Fargo. This is the last big time win that Villanova can get in the month of January. Yep. Absolutely. So it's necessary. And we mentioned it about the UConn loss. They just, they don't have a lot more opportunities to drop games because then they don't have any more opportunities to win big games. So at some point, at some point, they've got to go out and get it, and mm-hmm. hopefully, this Saturday at four thirty, big time game can can be the one that everybody gets up for. This is a chance for their best win of the season. Yeah, very simply, that's how good this Xavier team is. And it, as you said, it is a home game. It is at the Fenneran Pavilion, hoping for a big crowd there with that mid afternoon game uh, on a Saturday, and and see if we can rock the Cats to a win. Yeah, hopefully, students are coming back around that time too, January seventh. That is a good point. I'm not sure when they come back. I know they changed it where we came back now the week before MLK Day. Yeah, I was right going to say. So they probably they MLK. might be back yeah. for it. Oh, Though the student also, showing, to be fair, was pretty decent at the games that have happened that I've gone to over break. So go uh, go Nova students. Yeah, I was going to mention that Oklahoma played Iowa State tough. So that's kind of a good look for Nova. But uh, will you be there on Saturday? I'm not sure yet. Still, still figuring that out. No matter what happens, I will be watching. Just uh, oh, yeah. unsure if I will be in the building. Yeah, and I want to give another shout to Nova Tip Time, Chris Nataro. We had him on a few weeks ago. At this point, we also had his first guest, Tommy Godin, on. They yes. did a joint show together. It was so good. If you're not following Nova Tip Time on Twitter, go check him out. He'll be there pregame against Xavier on Saturday, so that will be a huge one to tune into. Just a lot of expectations on this team. I think we feel a lot better. Coming off of the Marquette loss, ugly first half. They looked more like themselves in the second half, and hopefully they can continue that momentum because a fast start's going to be really necessary against Xavier, too. Yeah, seven points in like 12 minutes is not going to get it done against a team this uh, this offensively talented. But yeah, follow Chris, follow Tommy. They are phenomenal. Um, And uh, we'll keep you... uh, We'll make sure to have you updated, of course, as well when our next episode drops on Tuesday. Big weekend, Pat. You can Big say weekend. that. We only have a couple questions because it was a little awkward timing with it going out, but want to finish with these? Yes, definitely. Okay, Question. other question comes in from John Palme. With the appearance of Trey Patterson, do you think Neptune got the Brizzy message? So I actually haven't thought of it that way. Um, I think it was just needing another defensive body with... Longino being out I think we've we've talked about that a lot a lot that's probably been said but it's an interesting point about whether Neptune has to start playing to his players because the looming threat of the portal is becoming such a big thing in college sports I lean to think that again I mentioned it with with Cam Whitmore in general if you're committing to Villanova you're committing to 
the developmental program that they have been successful with for the last 20 years. So it would really shock me if Neptune goes away from that. I think they, especially if Longino's out, they need to rely on Patterson and hopefully he's able to give them some minutes, but I don't think it's just kind of going to them just because Brizzy happened to transfer. I like where your head's at, John, with, with this one and kind of going to where I think things in the future are going to have to change a little bit at Villanova for this in particular. I really do believe the same as Emma, that it was more of a result of needing that extra body to come in after Longino going down, but we'll see if that progresses at all during the season. Cause that that's where it might be a little bit better of a uh, measuring point. But for now, I think they just needed another guy to, to come in and provide some length on D. Yeah. And, and Joku hasn't dressed the last two games, I believe. Mm-hmm. So just I, something yep. to monitor there too. Most certainly. Question came in from David. Two of them, actually. Uh, Is Justin Moore's return based on Villanova winning enough to make it worth his while? And is Cam Whitmore NBA ready next year? I'll start with the Moore one, and then you can grab the Whitmore one. I don't think it is. I think the fifth year also makes that kind of a moot point anyway, because he could just come back next year if he really wanted to. I think it is just so shocking that Moore's recovery has been as easy is not the right word because it definitely hasn't been easy, but like smooth sailing, I guess, that I really do think he's just progressing at a pretty rapid pace and he is so eager to get back onto the court. Regardless of where this team stands, it's less about where they actually are and just how much higher the ceiling can be with Moore. And this is also his team. You know, when it comes down to it, we talk about how big Caleb and Slater and Dixon's leadership has been. We would be talking about Justin Moore first and foremost, first and foremost, if he had been healthy all year long. Yeah. I have a feeling a lot of this question stems from Justin's comments to that. It's kind of uh he's still deciding if he's going to come back and actually play uh, for Villanova here. I, I'm sure the winning factors into it say, you know, if this team had no chance at being able to make an NCAA tournament and Justin Moore hadn't played yet, you know, does it really make sense for him to try and push things? Uh, just understanding that he wants to be a pro. So I think it's impossible to say the winning means nothing for it, but there is also of course a, a lot of pride associated with him. So I, I think it's, it's difficult. Um, but my expectation is that we would still see him based on what we've been hearing, see him play at, at some point. Agreed. And then secondly, for the cam NBA ready next year. Yeah, I, I we've talked about it. There are rough edges, most certainly. But if anything, the NBA has shown many times over not just the last couple of years, but really for a while now, they do not care. If yeah, they're willing to take the edges. bumps. <laughs> exactly. If you are a freakish athlete with unbelievable tools, they will draft you no matter what. I mean, listen, it's the reason why Jalen Brunson fell to the second round because they evaluated him and said, oh, the guy's not tall enough. He's not quick enough. He's the, sorry, he's not Giannis. I don't care. Cam Whitmore has all those physical tools. So some NBA team is absolutely going to fall in love with him. And even with him not, you know, completely hitting his stride thus far for Villanova, he's still going to be a lottery pick. Yeah. And that the talent hasn't been the issue so far. We can all very clearly see how talented Whitmore is. It's just putting all the pieces in place at the collegiate level. And people are crying over Brunson now. All those (laughs) first round teams. Ruining the day they passed up on Brunson. Yeah, absolutely fair to say that there have been some struggles for for Cam here at the college level, but just looking how the NBA evaluates, I most certainly uh, believe he will be on an NBA roster a year from now. Agreed. 
And then we can wrap this thing up with Michael Van Sant coming in with a question. I love this one, actually. Do you think Villanova legend Alan Ray would be a good assistant coach on the squad? Oh my gosh, phenomenal question. I don't know how the answer isn't yes here. He seems to have such good, or he does have, Alan does, such good perspective on how the players think. He's not far removed from being um, around so many stars, adding so much offensively to all the Villanova teams that he was on. He ha- he's He's a winner. He's a proven winner. And I think it's been really interesting to watch him react to Villanova's struggles this year because he very easily could have, you know, Villanova attitude, I, I'm all for my guys. He could have pushed those issues under the rug and been more positive than was necessary. But he has definitely criticized the Cats when he's needed to. So I think he would fit in perfectly with the the tough love that it seems like a lot of these coaches are known for on Villanova staff. But he's just so knowledgeable about the game and what Villanova does and can do well that I think he would be perfect. Yeah, first off, like, I love Alan Ray. He's awesome. Like, if you're not following him at A Ray for three, most certainly do because his insights are fantastic and he does such a great job um, in sharing that all for the team. I think it's, in, I guess it's impossible to totally rule it out. You know, just think of, we'll go with even recent history for this coaching staff. You know, Baker Dunleavy, of course, mm. was, was a player at Villanova that was on that staff, now the head coach at Quinnipiac. Uh, Mike Nardi and Dwayne Anderson are current assistant coaches that, of course, were, were players at Villanova. So, there's most certainly a path, you know, for these guys to get involved there, but, you know, maybe more so, or at least differently from being a coach, I would just love to see him get picked up as an analyst somewhere. I was just going to um, say, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if he goes down that path. Cause yeah. he, uh, he really does a great job with that. And like I said, we're, we're, as you can tell, we are big Alan Ray fans. He came on with us last year. We had a blast with him. Um, so go, go Alan. Yeah. Hopefully at some point this season too. Absolutely. Very cool. That's a, that's a creative question. I like that. That's why we ended with it. But yeah, <laughs> thank you, Michael, for that question. Very cool. Awesome. All right. So obviously a lot riding on this weekend. We'll be there alongside you. And then we will drop a, a fun game recap on Tuesday, hopefully recapping. What do you think? Nova Nova win or loss? We didn't give our actual predictions there. Oh, there's a reason I didn't say anything. I didn't on, want to have to say that Villanova was going to lose, but I uh, yeah, I, I just think it's a an incredibly difficult matchup. However, Ken Palm predicts a Villanova one-point win really? on Saturday. So let's hope the numbers are right there. I, I just think there's a if this is a really tough hill to climb uh, for a, a Xavier team that's on fire right now. I think everything has to go perfectly i said that i don't think it's impossible for it to go perfectly but i'm i have some trepidation about it i'll mm-hmm. leave it there oh so you made me come out and say that i think <laughs> they're gonna lose you don't want to say anything <laughs> no i i do I, i'm gonna say that they're going i think they're going to win by one possession i, okay. I think that they can keep it to a five point deficit and then make a big shot i think longino's status is going to be really important defensively like we talked about foul trouble's huge and can they take the few advantages that they can get from xavier which is trying to go from the free throw line and trying to win the temple battle because i really do think if if they try and push and play xavier's game it's not even going to be close they've hung with the really good teams right and that's what that's why if they hadn't played as well against uconn I think I would have had a harder time even trying to come up with a scenario where they even stay close, but they've shown that they can do that. 
Yeah, and it's more than I would say it's more than UConn. They lost by two to Michigan State. They lost by two to Iowa State. They've had the you know Connecticut was a an eight point loss, but it was closer than that. And then it you know the free throws towards the end. Marquette was a two point loss. So to your point, they have hung with these better teams. It's can they find a way to finally get themselves over the line and. I think there's a possibility of it. I just, if I had to tell you how I was honestly leaning, I, st- I think X comes away with it, but I do not rule Villanova's opportunity out to win this game. Yeah. Hopefully the, the home advantage here. I think if it was on the road, it would be much harder too. It's an home impossible place here. to play at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But come on, everyone come out to the fin if you can, um, because uh, Nova definitely needs you on Saturday. I'm so excited. As am I. But all right, that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com for all your Villanova content all season long. Follow us on Twitter at SONNPod. Subscribe to the show on iTunes and follow us on Spotify so you never miss an episode. We will be back at it on Tuesday, everyone. I hope you have a phenomenal weekend. Enjoy the game on Saturday. Root the cats in and Nova Nation. 